Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at uh, Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Before we do get started, I do want to encourage you, if you've not already, to pick up your copy of Slime Incorporated. Uh, it is available now as an audiobook. So nearly 10 hours of audio entertainment available through audible.com or through the iTunes store. And you can actually get it uh, for free if you try out Audible and select it as your first book. Currently averaging over four star reviews on Amazon. So pick up Slime Incorporated. Well, now it's time for today's episode of The Crime Files of Flamond. And we go forward exactly four years from yesterday's program. Uh, the original air date is April the 25th of 1948. And we have a different Flamon. In this case, Mike Wallace. Yes, the Mike Wallace of 60 Minutes Flame. And uh, we'll talk more about that after the show. But here now from April 25th, 1948, is the case of the Ruinous Report. DJ Brock and Sons, makers of Brock Swing Candy Bar, present card number 225 from the Crime Files of Flamand. <laughs> file card, please, Miss Lake. Manufacturer says he wants to see us about a counterattack against unknown would-be murderer. Says haste is imperative. Flamand, the most unusual detective in criminal history. Flamand, the famous psychologist and character analyst. Flamand, who looks beyond laughter and tears, jealousy and greed, to discover their basic origins. In a moment, card number 225 from his amazing crime files. Right now, here's Bob Elson. Good evening, friends. When you stop at a candy counter and reach for Brock's Swing Candy Bar, you're getting the number one candy choice of millions. Brock's Swing Candy Bar is the only candy bar of its kind in the world. There's no match anywhere for the luscious double-thick coating of Brock's famous milk chocolate on Brock's swing candy bar and that golden, crunchy peanut butter honeycomb in the center. Have another Brock's swing candy bar the next time you pass the candy counter. Remember how good the last one tasted? The name is Brock's, B-R-A-C-H-S. Brock's swing candy bar in the bright yellow wrapper. Made at the house of Brock right here in Chicago and sent out fresh every day to candy counters everywhere. And now, card number 225 from the Crime Files of Flamand. Tonight's story opens in the pleasant study of Sterling Canby, wealthy manufacturer. He's alone, which seems to bear out the rumors that his domestic life isn't all moonlight and roses. 
Listen, Maureen, I've told you before that I'll submit to no such highway robbery. A reasonable divorce settlement is all right. But I'll not be blackmailed. And I won't have you calling me up at all hours of the night to discuss it. When you're ready to agree to my terms, let me know. Otherwise, I don't care to talk to you. Goodbye. Nerve of the woman. Thinks she has me where I have to pay through the nose, does she? Right. I better turn them off. You might not miss the next time. Who are you? Afraid to let me see you, aren't you? Why don't you fight like a man? All right, if you won't come out the open, I'll find you. And when I do find you, watch out. I've chosen you, Flamand, after considerable thought. I'd like to order a murder. You say you want to order a murder, Mr. Canby. That's right, Miss Lake. That's what I thought you said. You heard what the man said, Lamont. He wants to order a murder. Uh, where's your order book? Uh, we're fresh out of murders, Mr. Canby, and murderers. They're almost as hard to get as good domestic help. Oh, but this is an extremely mild murder, Lamont. My own. You want to be murdered? In a mild way, yes. Nothing that can be remedied at the proper time, of course. But it mustn't look like a fake. has to be convincing. That's a bad kind of a practical joke, Mr. Canby. There's nothing even remotely funny about it. A mild, temporary sort of murder seems much more appealing than a safe permanent one, don't you agree? Somebody is trying to murder you? There have been four attempts against my life. I believe the only sure way to stop a murder is to eliminate the intended victim. In this case, me. But you couldn't stay in hiding for the rest of your life. I have a feeling that after my supposed death, my would-be murderer will show his hand. There must be a motive, and it should become apparent when I'm gone. Any ideas on motives, Candy? Several. My wife and I separated three weeks ago, and she's demanding an impossible divorce settlement. Simply outrageous. What's the cause of the separation? She's a bit young for me. She has husband number two, all picked out and waiting. Oh, then he has a motive, too, hasn't he? I didn't follow that. Yes, I suppose so. And there's my dear, dear brother. And his motive? Hate. Open hatred. I forced him out of the firm for taking money that didn't belong to him. But he says I embezzled the money. He even tried to pin it onto me. Mr. Canby, if I were in your position and wanted to fake my own death, I think I'd make it suicide, not murder. But to fake suicide, you'd get the desired effect without putting innocent people on the spot. But if you fake a suicide, nobody has any logical reason to hide the body. And without that, there has to be a body. Well, if I were doing it, I'd take some clothes down to the riverbank, pile them up, and leave a suicide note with them. A note saying, uh... Uh, when you find this, I'll be at the bottom of the river or something of that sort. But when they don't find the body... Bodies aren't recovered from the river for months sometimes. Yes, I, uh... Thank you, Flamand. Thanks very much. I wish you'd watch things for me after I'm gone. I will, Mr. Canby, but if any of your enemies learn that you're really alive, get in touch with me immediately. You'll need help, and lots of it. Oh, how do you do? Is there anything I'm I... Mrs. Sterling Candy, and I want to know what my husband came here about the day before he committed suicide. The day before yesterday. Uh, you must be mistaken, Mrs. Candy. This is Flamand's office, isn't it? I'm not mistaken, and you know it. What I want to find out is why he was here. I, um, I really don't know, Mrs. Candy. <laughs> Maybe I can refresh your memory. He was trying to frame me so he could get a divorce without spending any money on it. He'd already hired one man to do the job, and it hadn't worked out. Your boss wasn't being hired to frame me, was he? 
You quite obviously don't know Flamand, Mrs. Candy. And I wouldn't suggest you're asking him that question. I don't think he'd like it. Where is he? Out. He'll be back before long. I'll wait. Do you have any idea why your husband took his life, Mrs. Candy? He'd gotten away with murder for years and it was catching up to him. His brother was about to send him to jail and I was about to get his money. He was in a corner and he couldn't take it. That's not the way I heard it. Well, that's the way it was. He wanted to get rid of me so he could marry a young widow with a lot of money. And he was stupid enough to think he could hire a French gigolo to compromise me. My understanding was that you'd already picked out a second husband. What? Why, that old... <laughs> Jacques Ribot, I suppose. Sterling hired the fellow to run after me himself. Well, what difference does it make now anyway, Mrs. Candy? Your husband's dead. Difference? The police are acting like there's something funny about it, and they won't let me draw a dime from his bank account till they recover the body. Well, they act almost as if they don't think he's dead. And you do think he's dead, hmm, Mrs. Candy? Of course I do. He left a suicide note, didn't he? If you were watching him closely enough to know he'd been here, you should know whether he's dead or not. <laughs> You're pretty sharp, aren't you? Well, there are plenty of things I don't know, but I'm going to find out. Oh, that must be for my now. Maurice, no, uh... you talk to the detective? No, he isn't here yet. Thank heaven. Come, quickly. You must get out of here. But I, I don't understand, Jacques. Never mind, only come. Uh, Flamand, uh, this is Mrs. Sterling Candy. And as for the man, I... Jacques Ribot, monsieur. I'm a friend of the lady. Oh, and you show up at my office. Have you heard? Heard? She does not know, monsieur. I came to tell her to forget about seeing you just before your arrival. It is no longer of any importance. What were you going to tell me, Jacques? The police have recovered Sterling Candy's body. His body? You mean body? Mm -hmm. Yes, Sandra. I mean body. Lifeless body. Then I guess I don't need to discuss anything with you. I need to discuss some things with you, Mrs. Candy. Your husband didn't commit suicide. He was murdered. But no, the police said... I don't care what the police said. He was murdered, Mr. Ribault. I've demanded a complete autopsy. What right did you have Any to Any citizen has the right to demand that murder be punished. And I bet my last penny the autopsy will show that Sterling Candy was murdered. Surprised, Mrs. Candy? See here, you cannot accuse no. me. Who should I accuse, Mr. Rebo? You? No, Louis Candy, the dead man's brother. I think you should talk to him at once, monsieur, by all means. Yes, so do I, Rebo. And I'd like to have you and Mrs. Candy with me when I do it. I'd like to see how your stories jibe. So dear old Sterling's dead. I might have known I couldn't be lucky. Lucky? Look, Mr. Kent. Don't get me wrong, Vlamont. He deserved to die, and I'm not sorry about it. But he died too soon. You killed him. You have been trying to kill him for weeks. It was you. Not so fast, Rebo. He framed me, stole the money, and pinned it onto me. Made me look like a thief, ruined the work of a lifetime. You think I'd want him dead before he confessed? No. His murder came too soon if it was murder. There. This is my busy day. Excuse me while I see who's at the door. Well, how do you do, young lady? Who... Sandra, what... I tried to call for months, but they said Louis Canby didn't have a telephone. I have an unlisted number. Oh, well, uh, there's a woman at the office, Lamont, a rather impossible woman, dressed within an inch of her life. She says Sterling Canby was staying at her house while he was pretending to be dead. Millicent Carmaine, I'll bet. That's the widow I told you about, Miss Lake. The one Sterling wanted to marry. That's her name, all right. But she says she knows who murdered Sterling Canby. She says the murderer was following him and... Oh, 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 that's very funny. 
funny that she knows the murderer? She doesn't. She saw the private detective I'd hired to shadow Sterling. Private detective? Of course. You don't think I was going to let Sterling frame me out of everything, do you? The last report I had from him was yesterday morning, about Sterling coming to your office. He didn't report the suicide? No. When I heard about it, I phoned him, but I didn't get any answer. I went to his office, and it was locked. That's when I decided to come to see you. Who was the private detective, Mrs. Candy? His name is Peter Denton. Uh -huh. He's a man with a good reputation. Don't you realize, Mrs. Candy, if he was shadowing your husband, he'll be the one person who knows about the murder for sure? You better call him, Sandra. It won't do you any good. I've tried for 24 hours, and his phone doesn't answer. Then we'll have to find him. Come on, Sandra, let's go. I don't like the idea of leaving that Mrs. Millicent Carmaine alone in our office. Better wait. Pete Denton's the key to everything. Well, this is his office. Peter Denton, private investigator. Mm -hmm, right. Lamont, I have a feeling. Oh, you too, Sandra, huh? Well, let's see. Oh. oh, I did hope my feeling was wrong. Why do people always have to be dead when we find them, Lamont? Shot through the heart, the poor devil. Come on, look. Huh? On the table in front of him. Look, uh, report to Mrs. Sterling Candy. Let me see that, Sandra. Well, it's all folded, ready to mail. Sandra, listen to this. After planting fake suicide evidence, your husband took a cab to the home of Mrs. M Millicent Carmaine. I watched the place long enough to be reasonably sure he was going to stay there. I think he'll be there for some time in hiding and doubt the necessity of putting on another man to cover the house day and night. However, if you want to be absolutely sure that he doesn't leave town, let me know. And I'll put a second man to work at once. Hmm. I suppose we'd better notify the police. Hmm, later, Sandra. Nobody can hurt Pete Denton now, and I want to talk to Mrs. Millicent Carmaine as fast as I can. Well, she's still here. Mrs. Carmaine, I'm sorry we were so long. This is... Wait a minute. Oh, No. Flamand. Shot through the temple. Do you realize this makes three murders, Flamand? Three? Yes, I realize it. But the worst of it is, Sandra, there'll be more. Act two of the crime files of Flamand begins in 60 seconds. Here's Bob Elson. Friends, have you ever tried Brock's Chocolate Mint Bar? Have you ever tasted that luscious, creamy, snow-white mint candy so cool and smooth with its rich-flavored coating of Brock's famous bittersweet chocolate? Well, I'll be modest about Brock's Chocolate Mint Bar, friends. I won't say it's the best chocolate-covered mint in the world. No, I won't say it, but you will. The first time you try it, you'll realize that Brock's Chocolate Mint Bar is something special, something you should have known about a long time ago. Brock's Chocolate Mint Bar outsells all others wherever it goes. People just can't resist that tantalizing combination of fine bittersweet chocolate and creamy snow white mint candy, so cool and smooth that every bite is pure delight. Why are Brock's Chocolate Mint Bars always so fresh? Because people buy them as fast as Brock's can make them. The name is Brock's, B-R-A-C-H-S. Brock's Chocolate Mint Bar, 
in the cool green wrapper. An outstanding candy masterpiece from the famous House of Brock. Try Brock's Chocolate Mint Bar tomorrow. And now, the second act of tonight's story. The scene is Maureen Canby's apartment. Jacques Ribot glares at Flamand, his fist clenched. I do not let people insult me, Flamand. You admit Sterling Canby hired you to try to compromise his wife, Ribot. Your job was to get her to agree to almost any divorce terms to avoid a messy scandal. Well? Well, that is no secret. Maureen knows. That's true. Jacques told me exactly what he's been hired to do. You see, Flamand, when I failed utterly and completely to carry out my assignment, I became a sincere admirer of Maureen's. I am in love with her. Which is also no secret. You're in love with money, Rebo. Anybody who'd take a job like that in the first place has to be. And you're smart enough to know that Sterling Canby would have paid you for a couple of months' work, and you'd have been through. But by tipping Mrs. Canby off and becoming the devoted protector, you thought you'd get yourself a lifetime. Chief. I have warned you, Flemon. I will not... How dare you strike Quit me? Quit waving your fists around, Rebo. I'll really hurt you. Now, what I came here for was to ask you two just one question. What is it? When we left Lewis Canby's apartment, Sandra and I went to Pete Denton's office. Where did you two go? Why, I don't know about Jacques, but I... Maury, no. Don't you see? And that was clever, Flamand. He wanted to know if we left Lewis Canby's together, Maury. Since you've given it away that we didn't, we're both under suspicion of that woman's murder. But neither of us had any reason for killing her. She was killed for only one reason, Mrs. Canby. Because she knew the identity of your husband's murderer. But Louis can be left alone, too. He could have gone to your office. I know. I'm trying to narrow the field, and I can't without help. Unless something happens, I guess that will be up to the murderer. You don't think... I think another murder will help solve the case. And I think another murder is inevitable. But no, there's no reason for another murder. Oh? How can you be so sure of that, Mrs. Canby? I... Louis has no reason to kill me. Or Jacques, either. And I know he was the one who was trying to kill Sterling. I know it. How? How do you know it? I was to meet Sterling for lunch to discuss our divorce plans two weeks ago. We didn't decide anything or agree on anything as usual. And Sterling stormed out to his car without getting me a cab. I saw Lewis Canby lunge out of the doorway next door to the restaurant and get into his car. He followed Sterling. I saw it. Doesn't mean a thing. It does, though. Sterling called me about an hour later to accuse me of following him and firing a shot at his tires. He'd nearly wrecked his car. Well, thank you. Maybe we can prevent another murder after all. Good night. Where are you going? To talk to Lewis Canby, of course. A rather interesting story, Vermont. I could call her a liar, of course. Yes, of course. But you wouldn't believe me and it wouldn't be true. I knew Maureen saw me. I suppose I should have said something about it. Before she did. It somehow it, it sounded so weak. Oh, what sounded so weak? My story. I did fire a shot at his tires, Lamont. I fired a shot through the window of his study, too. And I'm an expert boxman. Yet I didn't kill him. Doesn't that mean anything to you? Mm, Mike? I wasn't trying to kill him. I just wanted Sterling to get the feel of death. I wanted him to know that he could be killed whenever his would-be murderer chose. And I wanted him to be afraid. Thoroughly afraid. Just to annoy him. No. When I had him at the breaking point, I planned to move in on him and get a confession of the point of a gun. Confession of what? Of the way he tricked me. Me, his own brother. 
wrecked my whole life. Do I look like an embezzler, Flamand? Look at me. Do I? Embezzlers, Mr. Cantley, unfortunately bear no distinctive mark any more than murderers do. They look like people, that's all. But I do believe you. Really? Or are you trying to put me off guard? I don't like that off-guard remark, Mr. Candy. If you're innocent, you don't need any guard. You aren't going to arrest me? No. I'm going on home and get some sleep. And I'm going to hope it's not interrupted. All right, now, Sandra. Have you got everything straight? Oh, I'm not sure, Fulon. I, I was sound asleep when you started pounding on the door and... You should be home sleeping yourself. It's nearly one o'clock. We'll be able to sleep better when these murders are solved, Sandra. Now, look. Remember your story and stick to it. Whatever you do, stick to it. And after I've told my story, what then? I don't think you need to worry. Things will start to happen. You just keep out of the way. from Lewis Candy to get right over to his apartment, but he was dead when I got there. A bullet through his chest. But I don't believe it. Look, Mrs. Candy, you think I'm running around at 2 o'clock in the morning to play jokes? If you think murder's anything to fool Just about... Just a minute. I'm going to call Jacques. But if he's the murderer... You're afraid? I have a gun here if he gets any ideas. You let me handle this. Oh, he's probably asleep. After having murdered a man? I doubt it. Uh, hello, Jacques. Maureen. Why, yes, there is something wrong. I, I can't tell you over the phone. I said I can't. What? I know it's the middle of the night. Do you think I'd call if it weren't important? Your car is what? Oh. Well, very well, then. I'll come over there. Right away. Goodbye. <laughs> he had the boy take his car over to an all-night car washing place when he got home. We'll have to go to his place. Do you think we dare? Of course. And the sooner the better. All right, if you say so. I'm worried, Mrs. Candy. Seems odd to me that Mr. Rebeau would want you to come to his apartment. Well, he explained about not having a car. Do you have any cigarettes? Uh, no, I don't smoke. I'm nervous. You stay here. I'm going to run into that all-night cafe and get a pack. Going to get a pack of cigarettes, huh? Who does she think she's kidding? I could feel a pack of cigarettes in her side coat pocket. <sighs> Wish I knew what this was all about. And I certainly hope Flamon knows what he's doing. Oh, well. Mine not to reason why. Mine but to do or do... Hey, I don't think I like that last. Oh, back so soon? Get your cigarettes? Sure. Wait a minute. I thought you said Rabot lived on Westland. He does. But you're heading... I'm heading for Lewis Candy's apartment. But you told Jacques Rabot would be right... I didn't talk to Rabot. I didn't talk to anyone. I dialed my late husband's number because I was dead sure he wouldn't answer. But what's the big idea? That's what I want to know, and I'm going to find out. 
Canby. Lewis isn't here. But that's no sign he hasn't been murdered. Somebody might have moved the body after I was here. Quit bluffing, Miss Lake. What's your game? I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, yes, you do. And you know very well Lewis Canby isn't dead. I never believed that line for a minute. For your information, I called him when I stopped at that all-night restaurant. I didn't need cigarettes at all. You called him? But he isn't here. You bet he isn't here. You want to know why, Miss Lake? Because when I called him, I told him I had to see him right away at my apartment. But I don't get it. You will, Miss Lake. That's exactly what you'll do. You'll get it. Lewis Canby keeps a revolver in his desk drawer. Look here, Mrs. Canby, you Your can't... body will be in his apartment right here, and the bullet will be from his gun, which won't be too well hidden. But why kill me? To what? narrow the field. Specifically to narrow it down to Lewis. This should settle matters nicely. They'll think you found out something about him. But Jacques Ribot... You think I care about him? I used him because I thought I could pin the murders onto him. If I ever get another husband, he won't bear any resemblance to that gigolo. Uh, Jacques, what are you doing here? I've been listening, Maureen. Most enlightening listening. And I'm hurt and surprised to know how you feel about me. You're going to be surprised, all right. And hurt, too. I guess this better be a double murder. They won't hang Lewis Canby any higher for two more murders than for one. They won't hang him at all, Mrs. Why, Canby. Why, where did you... No, no, you don't no, drop that gun, Mrs. Canby. you miss, will you? Let go of my arm. Right Jacques came into the room in front of you so I could sneak up behind you without attracting your attention. Now drop that gun, Mrs. Canby. Drop it, I said. Your record's going to stay at three murders. I'd like to... Oh! Thank you. You've done too many things you liked doing, Mrs. Canby. I'd say you've satisfied your last whim. <laughs> Lamond and Sandra will be back in a moment with a basic clue in tonight's story. But first, Bob Elson. Friends, have you heard the great new daytime show sponsored by E.J. Brock and Sons? It's Jingle Jackpot at 4.45 every afternoon, Monday through Saturday on WGN. Every day, you have a chance to hit the Jingle Jackpot and win as much as $25 cash just by writing a simple little jingle about Brock's famous chocolate mint bar. It's easy. Here's an example. Speak right up. Don't just hint. Ask for Brock's Fine Chocolate Mint. Just send in your jingle enclosing as many Brock's Chocolate Mint Bar wrappers as you please. One wrapper, five, ten, any number up to 25. You can win $25 with just one jingle by sending in 25 wrappers. If your jingle is red on the air, then you hit the jingle jackpot. And you win $1 for every Brock's Chocolate Mint Bar wrapper you've enclosed with your jingle. So listen at 4.45 tomorrow afternoon and every afternoon but Sunday for Brock's Jingle Jackpot on WGN. Hundreds of listeners have hit the Jingle Jackpot for cash, and so can you. Remember 4.45 every afternoon but Sunday on WGN, the Jingle Jackpot. And now, the basic clue in tonight's story. Lamond, oh. it seemed to me that both Louis Canby and Jacques Ribot were just as good suspects as Mrs. Canby, and, and yet you aimed the whole frame up at her. Well, of course, Sandra, because I knew that she was guilty. I don't want to seem impolite, but you did no such thing. You couldn't have known. Sandra, even you should have known. That report on Pete Denton's desk was a complete giveaway. Suppose either Jacques Ribot or Louis Canby had murdered Pete Denton. What would have happened? You tell me. 
Well, Rebo would have destroyed the report because he wouldn't have wanted Maureen Canby to be implicated in any way. Lewis Canby, on the other hand, would have taken it and sneaked it into Maureen's apartment so it would be discovered as highly incriminating evidence. Oh, yeah, I suppose he would. Maureen Canby didn't dare admit that she'd gotten the report, but she didn't dare deny Denton had been working for her either. You see, she didn't know how much we knew. Her best bet was to kill Denton and leave the report on his desk as if it just hadn't been mailed. But how did she kill her husband? Well, she's confessed the whole thing. She called him at Millicent Carmaine's after she got the fake suicide report, demanded a showdown meeting with him on the threat of exposing his fake suicide, and she kept the appointment, too, with a gun, forced him to take six sleeping tablets, enough to knock out a horse. But why the sleeping tablets? Once he was unconscious, all she had to do was roll the body over the river bank. And she killed Millicent Carmaine because... What? Because she was afraid Millicent knew about her showdown meeting with her husband. Well, the whole thing's simple enough, isn't it? Well, that's all in the point of view. I'll admit the report from Pete Denton should have told me something, but I didn't know what to look for. Well, Sandra, murderers seldom tell you what to look for. Not knowingly, anyway. Well? Well, the report should give me the file card title. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute. It does. The Case of the Ruinous Report. The Case of the Ruinous Report. Card number 225 from the Crime Files of Flamand, featuring Myron Wallace as Flamand and Patricia Dunlap as Sandra, written by George B. Anderson and directed by Ed Kahn. This is Pierre Andre reminding you to listen again next Sunday at 9.30 p.m. when E.J. Brock and Sons, makers of Brock Swing Candy Bar, will present card number 226, the case of the lethal letter. All names and places mentioned in this broadcast are fictitious. Any similarity to real persons or places is entirely coincidental. At the ballpark, or wherever the crowd goes, listen for... Peanuts! Popcorn! Rock Swing Candy This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Hi, this is Andrew from otrwesterns.com. I wanted to invite you to come take a look at our site. We stream live OTR Westerns 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, along with putting out podcasts of old-time radio westerns. Check us out at otrwesterns.com. You're listening to The Great Detectives of Old-Time Radio with Adam Graham. Now let's get back into the show. Welcome back. Well, a very uh, neat program. Uh, This is not the first time we've had Mike Wallace on the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. We actually played his aired series, uh, Crime on the Waterfront, uh, for which there were two 35-minute pilots made but never aired. And we did that uh, when he passed away. But I find it interesting because he did a lot of uh, old-time radio programs. They were not widely collected or played, so they're twos and fews and not a whole lot of episodes out there. But still, it's amazing to think he played all these roles and then uh, went on to become famous as a uh, TV uh, newsman. An entirely different career. 
And of course, we hear this sponsored by Brock's Candy. You know, of course, a company that uh, does continue to be around even to this day. And as for the case itself, I did like the setup. The idea of this guy asking Flamand to help him set up a fake murder. And I give Flamand credit for suggesting the uh, suicide instead. So, an interesting episode. It's the only episode of The Crime Files of Flamand with Mike Wallace. Though we're not done with the series yet. And uh, we'll have more details on that next week. Alright, well, we do have an announcement. Uh, last season, we brought you a few episodes of the lineup that uh, we had not had when we first played through the series. Well, uh, the OTRR certified version of the lineup has been released, and they found a few more episodes of the lineup. And the total number is 14. Now, one thing that I do here is when I get through a series, if lost episodes are discovered that I wasn't aware of, I'm sure to bring them to you. 14 is quite a bit, but uh, what we're going to do is we will we'll proceed to go through Crime Files of Lamont. We'll bring you Tales of Fatima, which we've only got two episodes of, and then we'll bring you the series The Avenger, and then we will turn to these uh, newly uh, circulating episodes of the lineup. However, in order to get in all of the programs that we promised to get in, um, we're fortunate that we have a show ending on Wednesday and a show ending on Thursday. So what we're doing is we will shift two shows we were going to play on Tuesday to a one to Wednesday and one to Thursday. So what that means is that between the end of Richard Diamond, or I mean the end of Philip Marlowe and the start of Richard Diamond, we'll be bringing you a one-hour special followed by Defense Attorney and the Mark Saber Mystery Theater. We were going to bring you on Tuesday. We will actually be bringing you on Thursday before the start of Boston Blackie after Nick Carter ends. So some shifting around, but we're going to get in all of the shows that we uh, promised to, though we will be a bit late on um, the private files of Rex Saunders. So exciting things coming, and you know, the discovery of more episodes of the lineup, it has been such a hard series uh, to corral just because uh, there's so so many mislabeling and uh, issues and different names being assigned to scripts and lack of dates, it has gotten organized over the last few years, but it's been in a constant state of flux. But with this many new episodes of the lineup coming forward, I think it should definitely be something that makes uh, fans hopeful and knowing that if there's a show and you're like, wow, I wish there were more episodes of it, well, someday there may very well be more found. We've had several times it happens on the show and hopefully we'll have several more. So this is a disruption in our schedule, but a very happy one. All right, well, join us uh, tomorrow for the adventures of Philip Marlowe. And then next Tuesday, another episode of The Crime Files of Flamond with yet another Flamond. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, send your comments to Box13 at GreatDetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Radio Detectives. But from Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.